Dave. Good morning, Jim. How are you, Super Dave? Fantastic. It's so much fun this time of year. This is Jim English, and you're listening to the Super Dave and Jim Show on the NBA. And as always, this is dedicated to Randy Larson and our effort to keep his memory alive. So would you like to say some things about Randy? Sure would, Jim. And I uh, wanted to start off with where we first met and, and uh, something that is uh, kind of near and dear to both of us. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a basketball, a set of basketball courts at a park in Manhattan Beach, California called Live Oak Park. And I, in 1970, got an apartment, a really a beautiful penthouse apartment up on 19th Place, just a few hundred feet above Live Oak Park. And as a bachelor and, uh, uh, and having my first go around with a, uh, a wonderful apartment in, a, in one of the best beach cities in California, I, I was just, I didn't realize until uh, uh, being there a few weeks that there was a basketball court down below. And I heard that a lot of the best ball players in the area played there. And that's where I first met Randy Larson. And I'll never forget. Uh, you know, and you know, Jim, but for pickup basketball players of our era, uh, the, the place you play has a, they all have a different atmosphere, a different uh, level of uh, uh, player talent. Uh, I, I often think of uh, Rutgers Park in uh, New York, where the best basketball players in New York would gather. Well, as far as basketball in Southern California and the beach cities, Live Oak Park was about as good as you can get. And I realized right away that there was one guy there that I was going to go against at some point, and that was sort of the commissioner, you could see. And that was our good friend, Randy Larson, Jim. Yes, and, and I actually got to know him there as well. Live Oak Park, once again, Manhattan Beach, it's a great place to play. There were a core of people, probably 50 to 75 players, that would play there on the weekends and during the week sometimes as well. And Randy was the organizer, and it was interesting, too, because you're right. There were really good players. There were, there were a lot of really good players. There were pro players playing there. Dave Wall played there. Paul Westfall played there. You, you were never a pro, but you played there. So there were a lot of really, really good players that showed up. A good friend of ours, Pat Mullen, another gentleman who passed away, used to play there who was Wayne Stewart, and Wayne Stewart was 6'7", played football at Cal, played basketball at Cal, and he also played for the, um, for the New York Jets in professional football. As a matter of fact, he played on the first play of the Monday night football game. And he, on the first Monday night football game, the first play for the Jets, and he was a really good player. But there were also players like me. I'm, you know, Super Dave is 6'6". Six, six. I'm 6'2". I was a pretty good player, but I wasn't the caliber of some of the other players there, the Pat Mullins and the Randy Larsons, who were A players. And then there were C players. And what Randy would do is he would get an A player, a B player, and a C player, and he'd put them together, and we'd have competitive games at Live Oak. Is that the way you remember it? Super oh, Day? definitely. And, and like I said, the first time I went down there, 
my observation was quickly that it was somewhat organized. A lot of pickup areas, and of course it wasn't organized all the time, but these particular times, uh, I remember Sunday mornings, Friday afternoons, you know, certain times of the day you could find the best ball players, And it, you could see right away that it was somebody that was in charge and it was Randy Larson. And he was also the, the best player there. Uh, it doesn't always have to be that way. It just so happens with Randy. And interestingly, those players you named, Jim, uh, later on, uh, you know, when the Lake, uh, when the Raiders uh, moved into uh, uh, El Segundo, a lot of their Raider players in the 80s would co go down there to uh, Live Oak Park with Howie Long and uh, Lyle Alzado and uh, a lot of the, the Raiders would play there. Do you remember that, Jim? Oh, yeah. Rusty Russell. Yeah. You know, and it was interesting because I got a quick story to tell. But before we leave the, the Live Oak and the organization, it was so interesting when I showed up that everybody would look to Randy Larson to organize the teams. And he had unquestionable totalitarian authority <laughs> and everybody trusted him. I mean, there were, there were all those teams were competitive because let's face it. We have been, you know, you and I have played pickup ball all over Southern California and you go to a court, you get three of the best players playing together and they dominate, but that didn't happen at live Oak because of Randy his organizational skills and his sense of fair play to make sure that all the teams were as even as possible. And that so was the brilliance of Randy because he had that personality, Jim. And, and, and you know what, that, that organization would, would filter into the, uh, the bars and restaurants and, and night places uh, in the beach cities also. Remember that Jim? Oh yeah, no question. And, you know, we were roommates for a couple of years. And before we'd go down, because I knew damn well he was making up the teams. <laughs> so I wanted to get my steam tap. You know, my, uh, I wanted a, you know, I wanted a stack deck, you know, in my favor. So I would try and influence him between, you know, before we went over there and he was uncorruptible. He's like, Jim, you're a B player give you an A player and you'll get a C player and you'll like it. <laughs> so, so another time for those of you, you know, there's some live Oak listeners here and everybody will remember the live Oak basketball tournament. And that's exactly what happened is you take a seated, you know, there were like 90 players playing cause there'd be like 30 teams. It was three on three and they would seed all the A players and then they would pick the B players and then the C players would be through a lottery. So the last pick, the last seed would get the first B player. He would get his pick on the first B player. The second to last would get the second B player and so on. But the third was a lottery. Now, I remember Randy playing against Rusty Russell and for the finals of the Live Oak Tournament. And Rusty Russell, if you look at look him up, he was a tackle for the Oakland Raiders, an offensive tackle for the Oakland Raiders. I'm sorry, the L.A. Raiders, excuse me. And he came down, 
And he picked he picked a really good team, and Randy was an A player, and he picked a really good team, and they squared off in the finals. And Rusty Russell was six seven, probably two ninety, <laughs> and Randy was six five, maybe a hundred and ninety. And it took Randy, it took uh, Rusty Russell like three overtimes to beat Randy. They ultimately prevailed. And R- Rusty Russell, by the way, was probably 26 or 27 in his prime. And Randy was 40 at the time. So, I mean, it just is a testimonial to not only how good he is as demonstrated and manifested in almost winning the Live Oak tournament against a professional football player, and then his leadership skills, because everybody looked up to him to to make these teams fair. I mean, you had 30 alpha males that were playing there. Well, you had, I mean, everybody was an alpha male, and they would all look to Randy to divide up the teams evenly. One of the interesting things, too, and uh, as young bachelors in beach cities uh, throughout Southern California, it was always good to to be around somebody that was uh, attract the young ladies. And and man, when you hung with Randy, you had the best crop of females uh, imaginable because, uh, you know, as 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 um, macho men with each other, we admired Randy, but the women just went nuts about him and you could get the leftovers pretty easily. Right, Jim? Oh, yeah, there was a parade of women coming out of our apartment. Oh, yeah. It was Randy Larson, Bud Pierce, and myself. (laughs) And and it was was interesting because, you know, frankly, during that period, there was a lot of cocaine moving around, but Randy would never do that. And he was, he, I mean, he liked to drink. And we used to, we used to go to the bar afterwards, and Randy could go to the bar with either hand. And he was such a great guy, and we all miss him. Any last words about Randy? No, just that that those that tune into this podcast understand that this is dedicated every single show, uh, Jim, to the memory and uh, friendship that we had with Randy Larson. And uh, we just don't want his memory to die. And uh, we have a a really great following in those Live Oak players. So uh, we might have taken more time today, but it's worthwhile because – this is something special, and is one of the reasons I'm just so proud to be a part of this is uh, in the memory of Randy Larson. Yeah, I got a text today from a friend of mine who never knew Randy, and he said that it's really too bad I didn't get a chance to know him because he sounds like a great guy, and it would be somebody that everybody could get along with because he was so gregarious. He was so outgoing. He was so generous. We were roommates. He made me dinner so many times. And, you know, we just can't say enough about the guy. Nope. But we do talk NBA basketball here. And, boy, the playoffs are in full swing, Jim. Boy, they're raging right now. And so, Super Dave, where would you like to start? Uh, Let's talk about the the teams that have been eliminated now. and. and how the playoffs are showing some parity, but part of the parity, Jim, seems to be attached to injuries. Don't you, don't you feel that injuries have played a key part in these playoffs more than almost any other year? 
You know, and it's interesting too, Super Dave, that the injuries are playing a part. I don't remember it playing a part like it has before, but also too is like the NFL is a collision sport versus the NBA, which is a contact sport. And in the collision sport, you know, all of the, you know, during the playoffs, all of the players, you know, the, the Tom Brady's, the Matt Stafford's, the, you know, the, uh, all the quarterbacks are healthy and it makes for a wonderful NFL game. Why do you think there are so many injuries this year in the playoffs? I'm trying to figure that out because once again, that we, we can speak from some kind of experience, Jim, because we were, we were both players and I, I, I played for 30 some years, uh, with, uh, and unbeknownst to me, because of a botched surgery in 1969, I had a torn ACL, a torn MCL, and no cartilage in my right knee. And uh, I still played at a fairly decent level. And I don't understand these guys like Kawhi Leonard sitting out the whole year I, that uh, with some mysterious injury that we don't even hear any progress reports on. And I don't understand these guys that can't come back quicker and better with injuries, and there seems to be, you know, uh, Anthony Davis just missed so many games for the Lakers, and uh, and then you know it seems like Steph Curry's been in and out of the Golden State lineup, and now we've got a really a key injury to to Devin Booker of Phoenix, and uh, John Moran has been hurt a great deal. I, I I can't, I don't have any explanation for you, Jim, but I just know I played through injuries, and I played all the time. And I don't understand these guys in this modern era that can't get out there in the basketball play at a whole, a whole year. Zion Williamson, uh, a, a young man is just, you know, they seem, and you see him in warmups on the sidelines and reverse dunking and everything. And that he can't get out on the court, Jim. I don't understand it. I don't have an explanation for you. You know, and it's interesting too, because we know that there's, you know, some live oakers that, uh, listen to this podcast and every single one of us has gotten beaten up and if you're over 60 you're showing the effects right now with your body because of the basketball you played into your 40s and 50s for the love of the game oh, I mean, let me you share something with you uh jim and we quickly go back to randy larson we would occasionally we have a uh, in the last 10 years before, uh, you know, Randy passed away, uh, we would meet down in Carlsbad, California, because Randy would only come up. Uh, he was living in Mexico at the time, and uh, we would go down there. And I had to drive from the uh, Antelope Valley down to uh, Carlsbad. It was, it was a couple-hour drive. And I remember getting there early one day to the, to the restaurant bar that we went to, and I'm parked there, and I see – an old man walking across the street and I'm kind of thinking, boy, it's, it, it, it's having a struggle. I hope a car doesn't come by. He's going so slowly. And as I look closer, Jim, it was Randy. I couldn't believe how he was, how he was walking. And I realized that, you know, he had uh, had uh, just had recent knee replacement and, and, and we as old men now, Randy, we remember each other when we, we could go above the rim and we were the, the height of athleticism, but when you get into your 60s and 70s, boy, 
we really paid the price for uh, all the basketball we played, Jim. No, I mean, that is what, you know, so, and I know we haven't talked much about Ben Simmons, but that's what makes me ill about Ben Simmons is the fact that we have so many of our friends. I've got, I had, there's a basketball team I played with in Orange County called the Tasmanian War Devils. And we were, we were a B team and, you know, Barry Gale played with us and every single one of those players that played for a length of time with us, Greg Schmidt, and once again, Barry Gale and John Casimir and Jim Curry and John Garner and all, all the players that play with us now have significant issues. Every one of them, but me has had a joint replaced. Wow. And unfortunately, got two joints replaced. And unfortunately for me, my issues, I've got, I've got a really bad left foot because it was my takeoff foot, but you can't do a, uh, you know, you can't do a replacement for your foot. I wish it was my knee so I could replace it. But every single one of us would die on that court. We would give it all we had all the time when we were well into our forties and here you got a guy who's 25 making $40 million a year ago, and I've got mental health issues. I, I can't I, don't, I can't fathom that. I've had, uh, and it was just a couple of months ago, I had my 33rd lifetime surgery with a, a shoulder replacement, Jim. So I, I have really been beaten up. But I'll tell you, I, I got out there and played. And like you said, we left it all on the court, Jim. And we loved the game. Oh. That's we why. That's why we're game. doing this, Jim. We love basketball. Yes, you know we would. We would try as hard as we could. We would. I would train like crazy, just so I wouldn't be embarrassed on the basketball court against you A players, because it was just. You know, we had incredible love for the game. I just can't imagine making forty million dollars a year and not playing because I have some anxiety issues. I. I I just have no sympathy or empathy for anybody who does that at all. So you're right about we're going off on tangents. Well, we really are, but we better we better get back to the NBA. But it does it's a perspective that we want people that are listening to this podcast know that we we understand the the, the nuances of basketball, and but we don't understand this modern game in terms of of how it's played by by the athletes because the the money involved i don't i don't know maybe there's a uh, a linkage there between how much money they make and and what they risk when they go out on the floor when they're not 100 percent. so uh, maybe that's one area we can't speak to jim but getting back to the playoffs uh, i think phoenix on, in the west looked like they were going to be the uh, the, the the team that was a, the, the odds on favorite to go all the way because of uh, of the way they played and they got their last year to the finals. But the Devin Booker injury has made a, made that an interesting series with the new Orleans and the new Orleans teams. And, and once again, they have Williamson still out. If he were to come back and if they somehow were to get by Phoenix, uh, that might be a really interesting play, but uh, that has had a big effect on the Phoenix suns uh, and, and the fact that the, they're having a struggle just to get by New Orleans. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because 
the there's been there's been a big surprise in Phoenix. I, I'm sorry, in New Orleans, because they generally have not been a very good culture of winning. But now that has changed. I mean, they have, you know, the three headed monster with Brandon Ingram, CJ McCallum and Jonas Valsalunas. And these guys are monsters, but there have been some guest stars. And this is really interesting. Phoenix has three unheralded rookies, a a late first round pick last year, a second round pick and a player who wasn't drafted. And that's um, Jose Alvarez, Herbert Jones and Trey Murphy. And these rookies, listen to these stats. Okay. These are people I never heard of last year. Okay. They are averaging 21 points a game, six rebounds a game, Collectively, they're shooting 40% from three-point land, and they're averaging, get this, 3.8 steals as a trio, these three rookies. I mean, these guys have come out of nowhere, and look what they have. All of a sudden, you have you know, the, the three-headed monster. You also have Larry Nance Jr. coming off the bench, who is an energy guy, and you have three rookies and if you know zion williamson who's been iffy if he comes back they're going to be tough in the next series if they can get by phoenix but also too for the future i mean zion williamson would be nuts if he left because this is just where you want to be you got mr inside mr outside mr mid-range you got three rookies with incredible energy and you got a mad dog coming off the bench. I mean, Phoenix looks bright, Super Dave. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm so impressed. What about that, that, that undrafted Jose Alvarado coming? Jose Alvarado, Look at that sorry, guy yes. play defense. Oh my lord, Chris! You know, I mean, he is, he is. There is one game that he harassed Chris Paul to the point of almost total frustration. Oh, you don't you don't see uh, uh, Chris Paul ever you know lose his cool, but he lost his cool that night. It's, what you have is you have another Patrick Beverly coming exactly. out. A good comparison. Yes, and you know you have those and these three rookies who have earned their way into the playoffs. I mean, you know, Phoenix could very well lose this because it's three two Phoenix. But they're going into tonight, New Orleans, and anything could happen in a game seven back in Phoenix. Well, and then the the, the development and the uh, emergence of Brandon Ingram as a real superstar uh, at taking the ball. And, and, and C.J. McCollum hasn't even uh, gotten hot during the playoffs. So, yeah, this is, this is a team that if they get by Phoenix, I mean, look out. It's going to be a crash course with Golden State, I think, in the West. That would be such a fun series. But, you know, what's happening here is that, you know, that Brandon Ingram is such an understated leader and a cultural setter. I heard him talking about the three rookies in an interview, and he said they're bringing energy, they're fearless, we love playing with them, and we trust them. So that really fuels the rookies' intensity 
and commitment when you have your leader who, let's face it, is not this animated, you know, William Jennings Bryant, you know, Donald Trump, you know, big, bigger than life leader. He is understated and he's setting the culture. I mean, they're going to be a solid team for years to come. That, a great point you just made, Jim, is when you hear these guys interviewed, and I don't generally get a lot out of uh, the player interviews, but, but when you see young players that are just developing, you hear how intelligent, how analytical, and how team-oriented these teams are now. The coaching level at the NBA level now, that's one of the changes, the evolution that I've seen in my in my decades of watching the NBA I, I started, Jim, when watching the NBA when there was one coach. I mean, there wasn't even an assistant <laughs> coach. There was nobody next to Red Arback to telling them what to do. Now, they, you know, they, they have to have a second row, uh, Jim, of coaches in the back row now because they don't fit on the front row in, in, in the, where the rosters are. It's amazing. But that amount of coaches, they, they all have a, a specific area. And the way these teams are coached, and you hear these young players talking X's and O's and strategy, and uh, it, it's fascinating to watch. It's a it's a very sophisticated game we're watching nowadays. And the young people, and you identified it. I, I was you hear Brandon Ingram speaking, and he he might not you know, you might get a, a wrong impression. Look at these guys at the, uh, on the court, but when you hear them talk, you know they're not only well coached, but they're team oriented. Yes, and what you have is you have a solid core now in Phoenix. I'm sorry, in New Orleans. You have a real solid core of players. And even if they don't win, you know, and let's say Zion, and I, you know, let's say Zion doesn't, doesn't come back. And, you know, if I am a solid free agent, I'm looking at New Orleans. I mean, it's a great place to live. They, you know, I mean, the culture there as a city is a wonderful place. It's inexpensive. You know, the food is great. The oh, how about the music, great. Jim? I'm a big music lover, and New Orleans is a is a hotbed for the music industry. It is. I mean, food, music, culturally, it's huge. It's one of the more unique places. If I am a free agent. And I am thinking about where to go. I, that would be one of the first, my first stops because of the core, because of the culture. It's also too, is like, once again, you got that, the big Euro inside, you got CJ McCollum outside and you've got Brandon Ingram mid range. And then the, the rookies and the bench, I mean, you know, their, their future looks so bright. But I'm sorry, Jim. Uh, as a free agent, uh, we're just not looking at you with that foot problem. I'm sorry. It's we're going to have to pass at this time. I understand. Well, you know, I'm so loyal. I would only play for the Lakers. Okay. Actually, okay. well, you can dream a lot about New Orleans. But uh, how about my Golden State Lakers with now Steph Curry being healthy? Uh, that's a team that I think. Uh, it's going to be hard fought to, to get by Golden State. I think the, the Warriors, like I told you several months ago, if they peak, if they got everybody healthy, and you can see now that Clay Thompson is in his, in his right back to his level, 
Steph Curry now looks like he's healthy again, and the young players are playing well for Golden State. They are a formidable team now, Jim. Yeah, now you have splash triplets. Yeah. Now with with Clay and Poole and Steph. I mean, they're playing so well. And, you know, the cog in the wheel, the cog in the machine, um, Draymond Green, you know, is like third in the playoffs in assists and like sixth in rebounding. And, you know, he's like third in steals and he's like last in turnovers, you know, and, and, you know, they just have Kominga, they're loaded They're And then Steve Kerr is a battle hardened, tested coach who knows what the heck he's doing. And we talked about this last time, but the fact that Steph Curry would come off the bench for his team is astounding. I mean, it's astounding. Well, Draymond Green now healthy again, too, holds all those personalities and, and unique talents together. I, I, I just think Draymond Green is just an exceptional defensive player, smart, cohesive, and, and makes that engine engine really tick. And uh, the Looney now is, is is a force on the front line, and Jordan Poole is emerging as a star. Uh, they've got all the uh, all the ingredients of a championship team. No question about it. And I, you know, they're they're battle tested, and they've got a taste of it now. Steph Curry's got a taste of it now, and he looks extreme. You know, I saw him last night, and he looks extremely healthy. I mean, he was so quick. He was doing breakaway layups, you know, in a half court. I mean, he'd be like, he'd get the ball, he'd lean back because, you know, the people are very concerned about the three, and boom, he'd be right at the basket and have an uncontested layup. I mean, that's Steph Curry. It's just amazing. And you're right, Clay Thompson. He's averaging 22 and over and 44, 44 uh, from three-point land. I mean, he's just doing phenomenally. Well, it took him a while to to get back because remember he sat out the most uh, part of two years. So uh, it was it wasn't surprising me because once again, when you've been a player, you realize you can't just walk right back on and and be at the level. But I, I, I projected that about this time he would be uh, getting his uh, his uh, his feet on the ground, and that's what's happening. And now you got the emergence of, of Gary Payton Jr. and, and Andrew yes. Wiggins adding to that mix. And my gosh, that's a that's a just a, an incredible roster they put together. Yeah, they're they're so deep and they're so good. And they play really good small ball. They keep the ball moving. And it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, I let's can we move on to uh, to Memphis and Minnesota? Boy, so, that's been a battle royal, hasn't it? Yeah, it's about, you know, the, the, uh, it's been interesting that it last game, like the game prior, it really looked like that Memphis was going to lose, but they keep coming back and they are so good. And how do you think that series unfolds? It's 3 2 now going back to Memphis, right? Right. 
uh, yeah, going back to Memphis. So Memphis could close it out. What are your thoughts on that series, Super Dave? Well, I, I like that, uh, that, that Memphis team. Um, once again, you got to always talk about the, the injuries, which is, uh, you know, so, so instrumental. And now uh, it looks like John Morant is back uh, uh, healthy again, although he's had a couple of off games. But uh, I do think that Bain uh, is, is emerging. Brooks is playing well for them. Uh, and uh, uh, Brandon Clark uh, is, is really a, a force inside. So they have, they have a, and what's really important about these teams is that, that you know, and, and John Morant, when he was out during the regular season, they had a, a tremendous record without him. So that just shows the depth of that, that roster uh, in Memphis. And I, I just think that they're, uh, and, and, and Minnesota just seems to have these, these, uh, periods in the game where they they've given up well what is it three 20 point leads in this series already yes yes and you know it's fascinating to me that because if you look at their stats two games ago i saw that that uh, russell d'angelo russell was seven for 24 from the field and carl anthony towns and and Edwards each took about twelve shots apiece. So when you're the point guard and you're not hitting, you've got to distribute the ball. You got some real firepower with Edwards and Towns, yet you took more shots. I do not like D'Angelo Russell. He's the only guy that's the Lakers drafted. That I, you know, via Cone Dios, I'm, I was happy to see go. But they're, you're right, they have lapses. They're not thinking. They're not smart. They're, uh, you know, they're talented. And like Charles Barkley said, they're talented, but stupid. <laughs> yeah, he, he pulls no punches, does he? He does not. I love Charles. <laughs> yeah. Sir Charles ought to be president. I'd vote for him in a second. He's, he's, he's funny, but yeah, that, that, that Memphis team is, uh, is a, is an enigma wrapped in a, a conundrum. You know, I, I don't, I can't figure them out, but I, I, I'm thinking that uh, Patrick Beverly is, uh, is one of the key to their energy source though. Uh, he, he's, he, when he gets on the court, he, he brings up the intensity defensively. No question about it. And, you know, I think that that Jaw has had some really good games, but then he's had he hasn't been great in the playoffs. He's been good and he's had great games, but overall he has not been great. And I think that that's because you know I'd I'd hate to have Pat, Patrick Beverly guard me. I'd be like in a corner sucking my thumb in a fetal position. I just couldn't <laughs> handle that sort of intensity. But are I think we're in agreement then that uh, Memphis is going to beat Minnesota in the series. It's three, two. Are you in agreement there? Yes. And, and it looks like a collision course with golden state and uh, golden state, which is going to have a, a little bit of a rest between those games. I think uh, it's going to be hard for uh, Memphis to get by golden state. So I'm projecting golden state is going to be, uh, in the finals uh, on the west side of that bracket. And 
uh, I, I really can't predict the Phoenix New Orleans series, but uh, Dallas, Utah, uh, it's, it's very surprising with Dallas having a chance to, to close it out tonight. Uh, Utah is another team that seems to be underachieving in the playoffs. I agree. And I think that, you know, you and I talked about this before, that, that Jason Kinn is winning the chess game. And, you know, now that, now that Doncic is back, uh, Luke is back, you don't need to have the same level of chess that you did when he was gone. You know, the small ball, throw it around the perimeter, make <laughs> Gobert useless. Uh, you know, um, but what we have here now is I just think Luca is just going to put him on the back and – those couple of what did he take two or three games off, and he's he looks pretty darn healthy to me. He's leading the NBA in playoffs and points scored per game. Yeah, he's that Utah. I just don't think can beat Dallas. Well, you you made a a good point about Jason Kidd. Uh, I see him emerging as a coach, and and one of the things about NBA uh, basketball coaches, Jim, is that is how do they make adjustments. Uh, from game to game, from halves to halves. And I remember, and you being the, the big Laker fan that you are, Pat Riley, to me, uh, his greatness in coaching was the, the adjustments that he made during a game. From uh, the, the Lakers would look different coming out for the second half based on what he saw in the first half. And from game to game, and in those long battles they have with the uh, Celtics, you could see the, the fingerprints of Pat Riley making adjustments. And I see Jason Kidd uh, uh, kind of developing as a coach just like that, Jim. I agree. I agree. I think that he showed his worth as a coach when he basically nullified any impact that Gobert could have on the game by playing small ball. I, he, you know, Gobert just couldn't get out there. And now you have a situation where, you know, that's without Luca. Now that Luca's back, I just don't see Quinn Snyder having the wherewithal to win the chess match against, against uh, Jason Kidd. I mean, Jason, to me, is Bobby Fischer. And Quinn Snyder is Boris Spassky. <laughs> so for those of you that are millennials, there was a huge chess match in the early 70s and it was, got, was so publicized and it was Spassky who was a Russian versus Fisher who was an American it was right in the middle of the Cold War and it got lots of got lots of attention but I I just think you know Jim, you, Jim you don't know this but I actually defeated a chess master once no kidding yes I was in a it was in a, I, I ran a chess club in Inglewood in the 70s, and I had a, a simultaneous tournament uh, with four, uh, over 40 players. Uh, did, did you ever know down in, down in Hawthorne, the chess, uh, the, the Old Town Mall there, they had a, a chess shop? I did not know that. Well, Alan Troy was a chess master that owned that, and I, I asked him to do a, a demonstration, and he played 40, I think 44 people. And I was the only one to, that defeated him. Now, he resigned when I had the lead, but I, I think it might have been in deference to be being the uh, just the organizer. So 
but uh, I was leading, but he did he did resign, and I was the only one to defeat him. I love chess. I still play to this day online, and but I don't want to play Jason Kidd. I think I'll avoid Jason Kidd. No, that's a, that's a very good point about Jason. Let's let's go over to the other side of the bracket to the east, and uh, what do you think about? Uh, uh, Miami and, uh, uh, and and how they're playing after and I'm, I'm kind of concerned now with uh, the health of uh, Jimmy Butler yeah he's the he's what makes them go if he's you know I don't see them prevailing against who so they're going to play the winner, the winner of Philadelphia Toronto oh well actually they could survive that um Philadelphia and Toronto, but you're right. I mean, it's, you know, Miami has been playing great and Spolster is a great coach and Pat Riley sets a good culture and they have lots of good players there and they have some depth, but you got Lowry's down, right? And Jimmy, Jimmy Butler buckets, Jimmy buckets is down. And if those two don't play, that's two starters in a playoff series and they're so dependent upon Jimmy Butler and also Kyle Lowry, not only with their incredible stats, but their leadership, their savvy, their intelligence, their experience. I mean, so uh, Butler has been to the finals before and Lowry is an NBA champion. So it's going to be really tough without those two guys to come back and make a win of it, Super Dave. I just don't see it. No, I, I, th that is uh, uh, problematic. And uh, once again, it, those those injuries cropping up are what really bother me. I I, I, I have a, a real hard time making any kind of uh, uh, assessment of a team if you don't know uh, if Butler is going to be playing and, and Kyle Lowry is, uh, is another key to that team. And those, without those two guys, a hundred percent, you, you put everything on uh, the young guy, Tyler Harrow. And, and of course, Bama Adebayo is a, is quite a force at the center position for that team. But all the depot now seems to be coming back to health and he's going to be part of the mix. So it's really hard to evaluate that Miami team until you know, what their health is. There's no question about it. Now, the good news for Miami is that, you know, I think Philadelphia is going to survive that series. And I think Philly will play Miami in, in the next round. And, but, and Embiid is hurt a little bit. And Harden is just, I mean, Harden used to be able to blow by everybody. And I'm not talking five years ago, he could blow by everybody. I'm talking about a year and a half, two years ago. He used to be able to explode by everybody that would really help supplement that step back three, which he has. But his skills and his physical prowess have dissipated over, I think, over the last year, very significantly. What do you think happened? I, I, I can't explain that to you. Uh, you know, I'm listening to Colin Cowherd and some other folks, and they're saying that he's a big admirer of the nightlife, which I would never criticize anybody for. But nonetheless, 
your legacy where you're a Hall of Fame player doesn't include a championship, it's tainted a little bit, like Charles Barkley. And I don't see him taking on the responsibility needed with his current physical situation to beat a team like Miami, even if Jimmy Buckets isn't there. I mean, I just don't see it. Well, I, I think what you're identifying is the possibility that they might not even get by Toronto, though. I mean, yes, Siakam is is starting to to assert himself, and uh, somebody I, I don't know who I was listening to somebody they're predicting that uh, he goes off for sixty points tonight. Look, let's see if, uh, but he's sure uh, dominating the ball for Toronto. He's he's an excellent player, and you know it's amazing to me. And this, this is like, this shows the grit of some of the NBA players. Is Scotty Barnes went out there, okay, with a bad ankle, and he is a rookie, rookie of the year, and he went out there and competed. He got 11 rebounds, you know, 11 rebounds, and he was hobbling around. He couldn't shoot much, but he's out there trying. And then you have people like Ben Simmons who won't even give it a whirl. You know, I've got some anxiety, so I'm not going to play. I got a bad back. You have that end of the spectrum, which is despicable, and it's a despicable part of the NBA. But then you have Scotty Barnes, a rookie, really trying to help his team out. And they won that game, even though he could only do marginal things. If he was healthy, I'd have to give the nod to Toronto. That still doesn't eliminate them because you're right. Siakam is one of the most valuable players in the playoffs right now. No question, yeah. Super Dave. Yeah, and, and like I said, I just as I watched that team, I, I, I he seems to be bringing the ball up the court even uh, because he's he's so dependent upon it seems to to key their offense. So it's a it's really an interesting interesting mix to see who comes out of there, but. We talked about it before. I don't. I don't care which one of those teams. I don't think they stand much of a chance against Boston. No, and so I, I agree. I mean, well, we got Milwaukee and Boston now. I mean, that's going to be. Oh yeah, the Milwaukee Boston series. Oh my gosh, that is that is just that is that's the uh, that's going to determine who's the uh, uh, who who's the champion this year on the uh, on the East side. I would agree. And, you know, you have a situation where you've got, you've got uh, Giannis, the Greek freak, will be guarded by Jason Tatum. I mean, what a matchup that's going to be. I mean, Tatum, and you know, it's funny that, that they're both averaging 29 points a game-ish in the playoffs here. And they're both playing so hard and so well. And you know, you know what I heard Charles Barkley say when he was talking about the, you know, the kind of the matchups. He said that you know Marcus Smart and Drew Holiday are going to guard each other, and they're both such great defensive players that neither one of them are going to score. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard, I heard him say that. That's that is pretty funny, but that is going to be that is going to be a battle royal, and uh, that is that is a, a series on. I'm really looking forward to because uh, uh, you know they're 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 both seem to be a, 
emerging now. The uh, uh, do we know what Middleton is? Is he going to come back at all? Is there any chance? I don't think. I think he's out for the series. Okay. And what? So the first thing that I would do if I was Boston, I'd ask for a drug test on Grayson Allen. I mean, what happened to him? I mean, it's like he averaged, he was averaging like three points a game in the playoffs, and then two games in a row, he was averaged 25 points a game. One game, he scored more than Giannis did. I mean, seriously? Yeah. I mean, well, how did get, that happen? You give, him, you give him an open shot, and, and he's going he's gonna to knock it down. He's really, uh, he's really stroking it right now. Yes, I mean, he's done so well in two of the games. And, you know, that to me is an X factor. Now, for in order for, for Boston to win, I think Robert Williams has got to come back and play strong and do well in the middle, okay? For if Milwaukee wants to win, I think what has to happen is somebody has got to go off that you don't expect like Grayson Allen. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I, I agree with you. And uh, it's you see the role players, and, and uh, that's another thing that uh, Shaq brings up on the Inside the NBA show is that he always gave credit to the team, the, the players that emerged in the playoffs that, that, that would sort of pick up the slack for him. And – we see some of those players now, uh, you know, like you said, Allen and, uh, uh, and and players like that coming on strong at the, the right time, and uh, they can play a, a really key role on who advances. Yeah, you got Connaughton who can go off. He's he's a good player. You know, you have you know Drew Holiday. You know, it's what you have here is assuming that everybody stays healthy. I see a 4-3 win in Boston because Boston's got home court advantage. And anybody who studies basketball knows that those Boston players are insane. I'm sorry, the Boston fans are insane. They're insane. Well, and I also think defense is more consistent than offense. And that's what really separates uh, Boston uh, and they are just playing uh, just an incredible level of defense. And I think they will have uh, an, an answer uh, for uh, the Greek freak. You know, uh, I think there's going to be uh, multiple players moving. But to, like you said, Tatum is that is that tweener size where he's big enough to, to, to handle him sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, but he's quick enough to, to bother him when he brings the ball below his shoulders. Yes, and he's, you know, it'll be interesting to see because they, you know, the Boston played bully ball against Kevin Durant. I mean, they just kept bouncing him around like a pinball. And he had, one of his games was a typical Kevin Durant game, but the other three were not. You know, he was, you could tell the effects of him being bounced around and being played with physically. It'll be interesting to see what Giannis does with that because they're going to try and bounce him around too, especially with – it is Robert Williams as their center, right? Yeah, yes, it, it is. And, and 
uh, he came back from the injury. And I know a couple of shows back, you mentioned him as one of the keys to Boston's defense. And he's another one that's not 100% yet. You can tell that he's not the the rim protector uh, that he was when he was 100% healthy. But I see him coming back. Uh, and and you, you mentioned, I think he will be a key to the series because uh, – He's going to be, uh, you know, cleaning the boards and protecting the rim, uh, which, of course, Milwaukee likes to likes to get uh, get the ball in close. Yes, and you know, you got a situation where Giannis is just, you know, he's going to, he, he's just such an amazing talent, but he could be mitigated outside with Tatum and his mid range, and he's not going to blow by Tatum. Because you're right, Tatum is quick enough and big enough to guard him. Now, when he gets down low, you got a situation where where Williams is going to take up the slack. Now, Charles Barkley. So I'm stealing, you know, I'm stealing from Charles Barkley here. He thinks that the linchpin for Milwaukee, if they're going to win. Is going to be Brooke Lopez. I'm just going to say that there's another big guy on the court, and that's Lopez. So you you do have two two big forces, and that's why Williams is so important because uh, when you got onto to Kumbo and Lopez uh, roaming around inside, it's a uh, uh, it, you know there's any penetration at all. You know by Holiday, he kicks it out to uh, to one of those two guys, and you've got a lot of problems. So it's going to be a uh, you, know, you talk about chess matches. I think uh, the teams that make adjustment there, because there's going to be uh, an ebb and flow in that game uh, th- that we're going to see right away in probably the first two games, Jim. No question. And, you know, the thing is about Brooke Lopez, he's 7-1 and probably 270. I mean, he's a big guy. Obviously, you're not going to push him around. But also, too, he's got a perimeter game. Oh, yeah. No, he can shoot. Hit- he can hit that outside, and that's a that's another problem for Williams. If if Williams is on Lopez, then Lopez can pull Williams away from the basket. So that's what I mean about the the chess match. There's going to be a lot going on in that series. No question about it. And you know the defensive rotations, the man on man. When do you do man? When do you do zone? You know, where do you do it? Under what circumstances do you, do you do it? The adjustment. This is going to be a great, great series. And, you know, I'm, I'm, picking, I'm picking Boston because Middleton is not there. If Middleton was there, I would pick, I would pick Milwaukee. But it's going to be close and it's going to be fun. Who do you have in the series? Well, once again, Jim, I, I, I really think you're going to have to to get somebody else to do these podcasts with you because we we agree so much that it's ridiculous. But but yes, I agree with Boston, and for the same reason, I I, I would I would I would uh, lean towards Milwaukee if Middleton was there. But that's a that's a big loss, and uh, I just defer to the defense of Boston, and uh, also uh, you know Thies. Uh, in the middle is as another factor for Boston that's gonna is gonna help against the big guys on Milwaukee and Jalen Browns now seems to be uh, coming back and emerging in the last uh, week or so uh, to help out Tatum so they've got a lot of weapons on Boston but that that defense and, and and Al Horford 
you know, is, is, you know, is aging. He's 36 years old, but he's playing uh, some of his best basketball, Jim. He's, he's a very smart player. And, you know, he's a former all-star and he's just, you know, he's, he's, he's part of the catalyst of the team. You know, he, he does whatever he's asked. He does the dirty work. You know, he's a big body. He's 6'11", pretty close to seven feet. So I just think that there's a little too much firepower, a little too much height. And, and the wings, you know, the, you could argue that they're two of the best wings in basketball with Tatum and Brown. I just like Boston. Well, how about we talked about role players. How about that guy, Peyton Pritchard? Where did he come from, Jim? Yes. He was a four-year player in Oregon. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he can get hot. Oh, yeah. And and then Marcus Pritchard – I mean, Marcus Smart being being the defender and Pritchard all of a sudden adding some offense, that's a lot of weapons that Boston puts on the floor. They do. I mean, they're big. They're quick. They have wings. You know, they have – they have high IQ guys. Their coach has done a spectacular job of bringing this team together into a cohesive offensive and defensive unit. And a couple of uh, a couple of podcasts ago, just before the playoffs, you came up with an amazing stat that they led the league in blowouts. Yeah, twenty point wins. In fact, oh, they set they set some kind of a record uh, uh, for twenty point wins. So uh, we both see Boston coming out, and uh, I see Golden State coming out of the uh, West. Who do you have there? Yeah, it's pretty tough to argue with. You know, they they don't have to play for a while. Steph Curry is going to be a hundred percent. You know, there's going to be you know when they the next team that they play. Um, is going to be tough to, you know, it, they're going to be just coming down. Either it's probably going to be Memphis, for, but if it's Minnesota or Memphis, they are just coming off a tough series. And I, I just I just see an epic clash here of an up-and-coming Boston team with all the ingredients and all the core for a dynasty the team that has already got the dynasty, that already has the culture, that already has the experience and the weapons in Golden State. And I think it's going to be a hell of a finals. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but that's the way I see it unfolding. And I think you see it the same way, Super Dave. I do. And you mentioned this word, uh, I think that's the fourth or fifth time you mentioned it, but it's, it's part of our scenario. You mentioned culture. And I think that's what this podcast brings to people that, that don't maybe don't know or, or follow the NBA as closely as you and I do, Jim. We, we go back a long way watching this sport and the culture of the different teams and the chess matches that are played makes it a real fascinating uh, game to watch uh, as opposed to some of the other sports. The way the, the playoffs unfold in the NBA is a, a real fascinating uh part of sports viewing. And I, I believe you and I, Jim, are giving some perspective to people that may not appreciate as much as we do. We're trying to pass along that passion, aren't we, Jim? We are indeed. 
And it's also too is, you know, we, I believe between the two of us and the rest of the NBA now, we've defined how to win. And a way to win get your team and draft them and develop them as a core and then bring in possibly one or two free agents, a all-star and then a marginal all-star to with your core of players because, I mean, that's what Golden State has done. And that's what Boston has done. And I also think that Phoenix, I'm sorry, um, Phoenix has done that too. I mean, they've drafted their core of players and, and brought in Chris Paul. And then you're also seeing it in Cleveland. Cleveland did not have a great series, but they're going to be a team of the future because the formula, once again, draft a bunch of players, develop them, get them battle-tested, bring in a really good a really good free agent and, and develop a dynasty. That's the way you do it. You don't do a super team. You don't pull a Lakers. You don't pull a Nets. It's just not the way to do it. Don't leave out the New Orleans Pelicans, Jim. No question. No question. You know, they have those three rookies that are contributing you know, they've got the, the outside guy, they got the inside guy, they got the mid-sized guy. You know, if Zion comes back, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but I'm skeptical whether he's coming back. But if not, they will sign a free agent that will do well. Zach Levine is a free agent next year. And he can wow. sign anywhere he wants to. So we'll see what he opts to do if he opts to stay in Chicago where he can get more money than he can anywhere else or pick a place like Cleveland or, or New Orleans. A trade of, uh, well, not a trade, but he, if he signs, uh, what if Zach Levine would sign with the, the Lakers and the Lakers get rid of Russell Westbrook? What do you think about that mix? I think the Lakers can't do anything until they fire, until Jeannie Buss fires herself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there. And, you know, it, we're into the 62nd minute of the podcast. So I'm going to stay off the couch for this podcast because, yeah, you, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, my rants go on 10 or 15 minutes. So I'm going to spare the audience to do that. And since we're going into the second act, what do you have to say, David? It's an open mic. What do you have to say about the playoffs in summation? What I really think is most important, I'd like to increase our, our listenership because I really think we add a, a dimension that people will uh, have a, a greater appreciation for the pro basketball game. The way you and I analyze it, Jim, I think that it'll just make them be able to enjoy the, the viewing of the playoffs and the, the game uh, in general better. So I encourage everybody to pass along uh, this podcast. And you, you never told them that I, I never gave myself that nickname, Super <laughs> Dave. That was, given, that was given to me by a, 
a company I work for because I have a multi-talent. So I, I didn't give that to myself, but it does distinguish me from our good friend, Dave Hellman, who is a part of our email thread. And uh, there's two Daves, so I thought uh, it'd be better to use that nickname so we don't, they don't get confused with the two Daves. And it was funny because Dave, when Dave sent out an email and Dave listens to our podcast, it, he was a great player in his own right, an excellent friend of Randy Larson. He signed his email that said, Dave, Super Dave. Yeah, he said, not super. <laughs> that was a yeah. cracker. I saw that. That was funny. <laughs> well, listen, Super Dave, thank you for showing up. And I love these podcasts. They're so much fun. And we're going to see everybody again next week because this thing is heating up. And I it couldn't be more excited. And thank you for listening. Dave, anything else? Nope. Looking forward to next week, Jim. All right. Thank you. See ya. <laughs>